This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Twisted Sister on the stereo. And let's face it, you're probably tired of not having that real arcade experience in your life. And well, me too, and we're not going to take it anymore. No, we're going to go to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, but you already know that. I didn't know that. What podcast did you I've come to the wrong class. (laughs) Are you wearing your pants at least? I am, so Uh. I know it mustn't be double take. (laughs) I I apologize to my double take host, (laughs) as I frequently have to do. How you doing, Mike? I'm all right. How are you, Carrington? I am all right, point five. so oh, I win. I hate it when you're just slightly better than me. <laughs> that may not happen when we talk scores on this one. <laughs> uh, yes, this week we have a strange game, a game I had never played before. And so I have no idea if I was doing well or not in my one-quarter journey, because this game was completely new to me. Yeah, uh, this is an odd one that uh, someone had uh, recommended, and I don't know. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yes, we will. I, that's a good prediction. That's a pretty safe prediction. Should we do news and stuff first? Do we have any? We got uh, no news, so too lazy to look, but we got feedback. And I have, uh, last week when we did Bosconian, we talked about how the cabinets, I think you had mentioned when the cabinets first got released, they were distributed with strategy booklets sort of on the side of the cabinet. Yeah, I read that somewhere. I can't find any copies of those anywhere. I, I found a whole bunch of sites that I'll mention Pretty much in the exact same words that that was the case. So they all seem to be picking up probably from a single source. I could not find the origin and I could not find a scan, a copy, a mention on any flyer, like nothing. I think that they never actually existed. It's just people happen to, to all mention something that never existed. I think one person mentioned it. It gets picked up by something like Wikipedia. And now everybody just, I mean, when you read reviews of arcade games, people just parrot the info everywhere. We were talking off mic, actually, about how when we do research for the show, I frequently try to find three and four sources for any fact, quote unquote fact, I'll say about a game, because the internet is full of nonsense when it comes to arcade games. Like people just making stuff up. People just copy from whole cloth, other sources. They will just like copy and paste from Wikipedia and they copy and paste onto Wikipedia. And it's just like, it's such nonsense. And people will argue about it. Even, even this game this week, I had a ton of trouble trying to find. There's at least, it looks like three versions of this game, two of which have the same name, but maybe use different controllers. So I, anyway, if anybody has, I guess what I'm really saying is anybody has a source for one of these things maybe a scan something for a boscodian strategy booklet and maybe how they were attached was it a was it a holder was it something like the cabinet doesn't seem to have a way to distribute these things and how would they would they distribute like 500 copies per arcade game or was it one laminated thing attached like i can't even get my head around what the, what it was supposed to be i call shenanigans i'm picking up shenan- shenanigans is in my my favorites one button i can call shenanigans call right now get them on the phone 
Heck, even a blurry Polaroid from 1980 or so would, would do just fine. Just the Story Charlie machine in the background. There you go. On fire, yes. <laughs> Rocking, back and forth, and the person <laughs> trapped in it tries to be released from the fire. Best game ever. <laughs> so I think the Bosconian strategy booklets didn't exist, but what does exist, he says, reaching for a segue, Oof. is uh, feedback. We got email and, and such. Maybe we got stuff on Twitter. I don't know. I didn't check. I assumed we would. Maybe we got stuff on Facebook. Again, I don't know. Facebook is dead to me. I never go there anymore. It's use. I'll go back someday. But we got email. Email I read and hope that you'll respond to. Read me some email, Carrington. Chris. Chris Phillips is a new listener. Hello, Chris. He says he's going to look at the bat catalog, so maybe it'll be a while before he gets here. But I'd like to say hi to the new folks. He wrote us to say, Hey, guys, I just learned about your podcast this week from listening to the Broken Token podcast. Thank you very much, Broken Token, guys. Chris goes on to say, I love it. So much fun listening to you guys at work and hear you talking about old arcade games. It leads me to reminiscing to when I first saw and played the games you are reviewing. I'm going to the backlog now. I loved the Pac-Man review and how you spoke about how it transcended everything at the time. I remember being in kindergarten and all the kids drawing Pac-Man every chance we could on those huge pieces of construction paper and the excitement of when the Saturday morning cartoon got announced and the disappointment I felt when it actually aired. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to make these. Love it and keep up the great work. Uh, actually, just as keep up the work. I assumed, I assumed he was thinking great. Anyway, thank you for the email, Chris. That was very nice of you. Uh, Cinecaster wrote in. He said, uh, oddly enough, he's talking about Bosconian again. Ah, Bosconian. He says, uh, oddly enough, I've never even heard of this game until I discovered it in MAME about three years ago. Despite the fact that I have no memories or nostalgia for it, it is easily one of my top ten favorites. Mm-hmm. I've, I've lamented about this before on other sites, but it blows my mind that Galaga has gone to become so legendary, while Bosconian seems doomed to languish in obscurity forevermore. This glaring Preach on. Glaring inequity is made all the more perplexing by the fact that the games have so much in common. They're virtually contemporaneous, they're created by the same company, and they use a lot of the same elements. Best mm-hmm. I can tell, the only real difference between the games is that Bosconian is more interesting and fun to play. <laughs> Nicely put. After all, without the benefit of misty-eyed nostalgia and subjective longing for childhood memories, what does Galaga have left? Wow, jab, jab, jab. It's just one of a million slide-and-shoot embellishments on the Space Invaders formula. I... Tend to agree. I mean, I wouldn't say... Of course you do. There's, well, I mean, I know that you love Galaga. You loved it when I beat you at it, in fact. Ha, ha, ha. See that show? It was one of the best moments fired. ever in this podcast. You're fired. <laughs> not just banned, but fired. In fact, lit, lit, on, lit on fire. Uh, um, move on. I, I adore Bosconian. And I got to say, like, if, I'm, if I've got the two cabinets beside each other, I, I actually really like Galaga. I do think it's one of the classics. One of the all-time great games. I adore it. I think I like Bosconian better. <laughs> just, now, maybe it's because I've played it less and it's fresh because I've just sort of come back to it, but I've known it better for years and I have played it before. I have my little all-in-one joystick thingy that has it and it's a terrific game. I think Bosconian is fantastic. So we got email from Andrew Driver. He says, Hi, Mike and Carrington. Loved, he's written in before. Loved your Marble Madness show. Really like it when you do some classics. You mentioned, slash didn't mention, a few of the secrets. Ones I never knew back in the day. Only finding out subsequently online, I googled for them and found this and had to share it. So he gave us a link to a Marble Madness walkthrough. And it has stuff, like he points out here, roll to the left and fall off the cliff. And if you did it right, your marble now has cute little goggles on it and a cute little <laughs> flamethrower. Like all these things I didn't know about at all. So it turns out there's a bunch of secrets hidden in this game. I still would say that Marble Madness is the kind of game you could get bored of over a couple of months because it's a little limited. But there's a lot of secrets. That's cool. He also sent us a uh, link to a thread 
over at the arcade museum with more tips and tricks. And he summarized, he says, summarized notes stolen from it. <laughs> so he gives some notes <laughs> about in the practice area, you can jump off and land on the numbers like we talked about, and you can get that number uh, you get that number times a thousand on the silly one, which I think I never even got to. You can <laughs> jump off an upward ramp and you exploit a bug of some sort. And in the ultimate version, he says, from the video, it looks like you can safely drop off the disappearing bridge section straight to the goal. So that's kind of neat. So I, I didn't know about any of those, to be honest, but I still insist I could get bored of the game once I eventually got good at the game. <laughs> so looking into the future, I would first get good and then I would get bored. These are my predictions. <laughs> What else did we get? Oh, Rob wrote in. Holy mindness. I know Rob because Rob comes to Kansas Fest. Uh, he wrote in to say, so if you want to see just how hard it is to be your sponsor, then um, this might be entertaining. And he sent us a link to a game called Arcade Craft over on Steam Power. He says, Arcade Craft, not an original or brilliant title, but it might be good for a laugh. So I went on Steam. The description of the game says, Enter the exciting world of arcade ownership. Play through the 1980s arcade revolution by buying arcade machines for your customers to play. Customize your arcade to increase its popularity. Manage your finances. Capitalize on newly released games. But beware the pitfalls that could bankrupt you. I have not played this game. Did you know about this one, Mike? I think I remember reading about it way back when, when it was being discussed that, hey, I want to do this game. Um, I have not played it since then, and, and the reviews on Steam are, are not kind. I like the concept. I think that'd be pretty cool. I'm not a big fan of those run a business, run a cake shop, run a... Like micromanagement. <laughs> yeah, you know, eh, not my sort of game, but it, the subject matter really appeals to me. So maybe I'd like it more than most. I suspect I will never play it, but I suspect I will link to it in the show notes for people who do want to play it. So I'm, I'm paying it forward. Uh, let's see. Oh, Michael Mulhern wrote in, friend of the show and voice that seems particularly familiar to me from some other podcast I may or may not do with him. Um, he says, greetings. Please may I enter the inter inner sanctum so as to advise you noble and worthy scions of the retro arcade world of a most interesting link. And he sends us this link, and the title of which is Inheriting an Old Japanese Games Center. And center is spelled correctly. God save the queen. Uh, it's over <laughs> on Oz Retro Gamer. And it opens this. Some people are just lucky. Imagine, if you will, your girlfriend's grandmother buys an old building and then finds that there are two floors brimming with arcade machines and game boards dating back 20 years and she leaves them all to you and so it's an article about that you can see all the photos it's not the sort of arcade games i think of you know i think of the classic old-fashioned north american style these are the japanese ones the other shape that sort of lean back monitor it's a different sort of shape than i'm used to when it thinks to arcade machines but still Kind of neat. Imagine just inheriting, hey, here's two floors of arcade cabinets. <laughs> he ends up selling them all. We got an email from uh, Classy Freddy Blassie. He uh, says, I bought six early uh, EGM, or rather EG magazines, from a guy for $6 recently. I was surprised how enjoyable it is to read real copies rather than read the downloads. Um, most of my computer magazines these days are digital copies, lots of good advertisements, even a few good articles. Of course, right after I saw your EGM Internet Archive link, I downloaded all that they had. Uh, there's a bit here about the Marble Man prototype. He says the rare... Uh, Marble Man prototype has been at CA Extreme every year that I have been there. Speaking of pinball, I recently went to the Pin A Go Go pinball event in Dixon, California. Maybe the documentary you were thinking of was special when lit. It sounds like a marijuana documentary to me. <laughs> I also was kind of bored by pinball compared to video games, and I played 
the only arcade game there at Pinagogo a few years ago. Now that it's gone, I, f- I find Spectrum fun. My friend thinks Black Rose by Bally is the best, and you simply must see the unusual Orbiter. Uh, in MAME, Saturn seems like a cool game. Okay, we'll add that to the list. There is a somewhat mysterious game called Genesis that may be an arcade game and is a data soft computer game. Well, we're not. Oh, it's Data East that we hate, not Data Soft. That's right. I hate them all. <laughs> and a video soft Atari 2600 3D game by Jerry Lawson. Uh, there is a picture of an arcade cab of Genesis with one of the ads for the computer game. I do not see it on Klob anywhere. Are you stumped yet? Uh, well, I am right now because we're recording, but we will come back next week with some information on that. No. We won't? Can't make me do research. Okay. Looking at the Pinagogo site. That's like a really fun event. It's Peace, Love, and Pinball. Three things we don't like here on <laughs> Like I'm all daddy-o. <laughs> Looks fun. Pinball people have a lot of fun-looking events. I wish there was a greater variety of arcade-type events. Pinball people, did I ever tell you, like, I've gone back and forth with my two-wheeled vehicles. I've been a motorcycle guy for ages. Got a car, kind of because I need one, and I have a motorcycle because I love it. And if I could live someplace and have some job where I didn't need to have a car, frankly, I wouldn't have a car. But I go back and forth between... Big motorcycles, like my current Harley, and little tiny things like scooters, Vespas, and stuff. And I, and I see the appeal on both. And when I sort of get tired of the big, snarling, angry heat monster of a motorcycle, then I start to pine for the days when it's only like a little 100-pound scooter, and it's fun. And when you look at magazines, the first time I ever bought a, a, a Vespa, or rather, I think it wasn't even a Vespa, the first time I bought a scooter, I was looking through magazines because this got me thinking because of the whole magazines you're just mentioning, and I do enjoy a actual printed magazine when it comes to old stuff. So looking at the magazines, and something I noticed was when you look at motorcycle magazines, it's angry, snarling, bearded, beer-gutted, angry, 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 extra angry guys and leather, barely clad women on their motorcycles looking upset. <laughs> and when you look at a scooter magazine... It's people having fun. Everyone's smiling. They're at parties. They're listening to ska music. It seems really inclusive. It looks like people on Vespas are having a much better time. Like the whole <laughs> the whole industry is just generally taking itself a little less seriously. And so every time I love motorcycles, but then the draw will be I'll look at a, a Vespa magazine and think those people are having so much more fun than us motorcycle people. And I'll go over there. It seems to be kind of similar when you look at websites for video versus pinball events. Pinball events seem to be in larger, often more brightly lit areas. There seems to be more kids involved. It seems to be more people smiling and families. When we look at video games, it seems to be the same five people who make documentaries about how they're all liars and how they all hate each other. <laughs> and it's angry, dark rooms. And that's not what I want from an arcade. I like the arcade experience, and it's supposed to be fun. Pinball people seem to be having more fun than us. I think we've got to change that. Us arcade people got to smile more. That's, that's what I'm saying. Get on that. Mike. I'm smiling right now. I'm just going <laughs> to make us smile more. People will freak out. More Vespas and more smiling arcade. I look kind of weird when I smile anyway, and if I do it all the time, they'll just sort of think you're up to something. Avoid eye contact and move <laughs> away slowly. <laughs> anyway, I prefer arcades to to pinball things still, even if I don't play I pinball. I do enjoy the the, uh, the arcade game more than a pinball game. I, yep. I will I will agree with you. Although I I seem to be better at pinball than I am at arcade games, which just figures. I think I'm bad at both. Typically play a pinball game longer on one quarter than a lot longer on one quarter than I can on an arcade game. But is it a relative thing? Like, it, like if you're good at an, well, first of all, there's some arcade games I'm, I'm quite good at. Most arcade games I'm quite bad at. So probably the same way with pinball, like you would be good at some and bad at others. And 
if you play longer on a pinball game, is it because pinball in general is designed with a longer game in mind? Possibly. Like, are you relatively better? when it, If you looked at the average person playing a video game and how good or bad you are compared to them, are you the same amount good or badder than the average <laughs> person playing pinball? Gooder or badder, sorry. <laughs> So, so in other words, you're saying that that my it's not really an accomplishment that everybody is going to play longer. At that was my long way of saying that and you have no accomplishments. Yes, that, yes. That, that, that I'm just completely <laughs> unspecial and ordinary and blend in. And I don't want you to take what I said wrong, so I'm going to say that yes, <laughs> that is precisely what I meant, and I'm glad you clear <laughs> glad you clarified it. <laughs> Should we talk about this week's game? Speaking of games that sure, are not good. In at? fact, we have a listener message on Facebook that'll take us in nicely. Uh, Ooh, segue away, baby. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Vintage Volts writes, uh, I just heard the audio clue for next week's game, and I can't figure out why the character sounds like he's straining. <laughs> Maybe the Pac-Man game can send him some fruit for his diet. Uh, Carrington, why is the character straining? He's arm wrestling, and I chose that sound for last week's sample because that's the sound that cracks me up during this game. It's the arm wrestling section of the game Combat School, a.k.a. Boot Camp, a.k.a. Combat School, because there were two combat schools. It's a Konami game from 1987, I guess, and 88, depending on the version. It came out, like you said, in 87. And here in the United States, Ronald Reagan was still in office. And hey, was, winners don't do drugs. That's right. There's, so there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of the waving the American flag patriotism and jingoism that shows up really well in this game. I can't quite tell if this is satire or not because there's a lot of really silly stuff in here that made me laugh but i don't know if it was intentional Mm -hmm. we played another game that had a similar feel but felt truly satirical and this didn't i wasn't convinced that this wasn't taking itself seriously yeah i I couldn't i couldn't quite get there with this one so i'm with you on that so you play you play nick <laughs> you do indeed play Nick, yeah. unless you are a player too, in which case you play Joe. Those will be your names. <laughs> and if if you're playing solo, then then the CPU is Joe, and you go through a series of things that that I guess would you would call hard physical exercise. And so I might call them boot camp. <laughs> so some people who had never been to boot camp might call them boot camp. <laughs> oh yeah, because you've been to boot camp, haven't <laughs> you? Well, I've been to the I've been to a boot camp. Yes, and, and some of the stuff there is. Look, this is basically track and field or, or, or hypersports with, with a, guns with a military <laughs> coat of paint. It's track and field with machine guns. Right. And it's not this could have been a lot worse. I expected this to be terrible, especially I when, expected it to be great. Did you? Yeah, what, like it's, last week because I'd never heard of this game before. You picked the game. You know, I didn't even get a choice this time. No, usually Mike will give me a Hobson choice of two games. Would you like this game you've never heard of? In which case I will say yes. Or this other game that if I've heard of it, I will say no. Because that's why we do obscure games. I will always pick the one I've never heard of. <laughs> I didn't even get a choice this time. Mike just swept in and said, this is the game. That's and right. so then I, I looked at down. it. I went online and I looked at like the premise of the game that you're going through. The, all these stages that appeared really different. And I love a game with a ton of variety. So yeah, I thought this looked fantastic. I went in with my hopes very high. Those hopes were somewhat dashed. I wouldn't say it's terrible, but the game li- didn't live up to my immediate expectations. Right. So there are seven levels, or I guess... I would say eight, because there's an eighth oh, mission. Right, yes. well, well, now, once I say that as if I saw those. I didn't see all these levels. So there are a total of eight stages, and you start with the obstacle course, and you, you run from left to right. It's very similar to kind of the, the hurdles in, in track and field, and you just pound the buttons as, as hard as you can. Or if you've got the, 
the uh, trackball version, we'll talk about the different versions a little bit later, but if you've got the trackball, you kind of do that little, the trackball wobble with your fingers. Yep. And you've got a little power bar at the bottom that shows you how how fast you're running and, and you jump over a bunch of walls and then you do the monkey bars and, and you cross the finish line and you're competing against the CPU or, or somebody else to kind of give you the, the, the sense that it's not... A sense of competition, I suppose. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if you play two players, it's one of the few games we've we dealt with that you can play two players simultaneously. Right. In which case, one of you plays Nick and the other one plays Jeff. Oh, I'll tell you what, though. I, I thought the, CPU, I'll say the CPU player was pretty cool until he knocked me off the, the monkey bars, that jerk. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> the nice it. thing is you do actually interact with each other, mm-hmm. even though it's split screen. Like in the obstacle course, it's you're on the top and the CPU's on the bottom. And sometimes it'll be like when you're racing upwards in a different stage, you're on the left, the CPU's on the right. But you're essentially on the same track at the same time. It's just sort of two cameras following you. If you're close to each other, you'll appear on each other's screens. And you do, you know, you can trip each other, you can interact. And so it makes it right in your face competitive. I like it. And while all this is going on, of course, you want to beat your competitor, but you also have uh, time. Everything here is timed. And mm-hmm. unlike some of the games that we played, the timing here is everything. And it is very easy not to finish a level because yep. you run out of time. There were times I didn't finish the first level. I was like, well, okay, <laughs> I got zero. <laughs> now, you do get bonus points for finishing before the time runs out. And, the- mm-hmm. and it's how much time you have like left. Up to like more than ten seconds, you get a big bonus. Yep. The more the more the seconds you have, the the larger the score you get. Oh, also it adds seconds to future ones. Like yes. if you if you finish with I think it's like more than ten seconds left on the first stage, you get like an eight thousand point bonus. But you also get five seconds added to your next stage. So it's important to keep doing well because you sort of need that time to be able to finish this, the next stage. Yeah, you really want it on this next stage, which is the the, the first firing range, and this is. You're kind of laid, laying down in a prone position and you have a machine gun and the targets pop up and, and you have to use your trackball to shoot as many down as possible. And I, in addition to the time running out, that you have to shoot a minimum number of targets. Yeah, I think it's uh, 44 is the minimum, something like that. It will keep popping targets up after you make that minimum so you can rack up points and bonuses that way. This this is a tough one because it's random and it's hard to kind of move the pointer because these these target these these targets they really do they pop up and you just have one or two seconds to to, to mow them all down. It's, it's yeah. It's this was really one of the tough. levels where I kept thinking. In fact, I looked it up thinking. I bet you in the real arcade game, this was a gun game. There would be a gun you would pull and you would shoot because the targets are appearing all over the place and they're they're a little target and you've got a crosshair to move. And it really felt like if I could just have a gun, I could shoot these things so easily. And instead you have to <laughs> aim at them with the trackball. And then luckily they're always in a row. So you just aim at one and you can kind of go back and forth and hit them. But yeah, like, holy cow, would this be that level in particular would be much easier if there was a gun versus the trackball. I can't even imagine playing it. There was a joy. We'll get to it later, but there was a joystick version of this oh, game, too. Yeah. That would have, that would be a nightmare to play, I think. Now, there was there was an interesting thing that happened on on the firing range here. And I don't know if this was a bug or intentional, but... In the track if it increased mode, your score, it was a bug and your score's invalid. Right, exactly, yes. Preemptively safe. <laughs> in a track mode and in all the other levels, you're competing with Joe, and Joe is on either on the split screen or he's he's on the screen with you at the same time. In this, if you're playing solo, you're the only one shooting on the, on the range. Same, same thing happened to me, and I kept wondering, if I played two-player, would there be twice as many targets and we'd both be shooting? Because if not, then there's no way you could both hit 44 targets. Yeah. One of you would be out on level two because there's a space. Like when you look at the, the shape on the bottom where you are, there's a space where the other person could be because you're on the ground with that little machine gun on tripod. Because yeah, you're over so, on the left and then he should be on the right. And if he is supposed to be on the screen and there are a limited number of targets that pop up, that presents definitely some interesting 
uh, strategy. I would just turn to shoot player two. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, interactive, that, but, but you could maybe prevent your opponent from moving on to mm-hmm. the next level by by shooting so many that he can't make the minimum. Yeah, but that's that's something I I only played the solo, so it's that's yeah. something I got to experience. I'd, I'd so that'd be interesting. That's like, yeah, me too. Next, we have the Iron Man race. This is where you run vertically through four distinct phases. It's running, swimming, rowing, and running. This is a level that frequently killed me. I just run out of time, man. You've got obstacles. Uh, there are thistles, puddles. There are floating logs. There are landmines. The only thing you have to do here is get across the finish line before the time expires. Unfortunately, uh, when you hit the you know hit any of these obstacles, he falls over, and that costs you time. And, and or if you miss a bridge and you're in the river next to it, you can still get across, but it takes longer. Mm-hmm. I really and. and this phase in particular kind of made me aware of how much I liked the, the way that the physics were implemented. You know, when he trips in a puddle, the animation is of him falling in a puddle and, and kind of struggling to stand back up in the mud. And if he falls into the water, he's going to move more slowly and yep. stuck in the thistle patch. So I thought that was very well done. I also liked how, remember how earlier I was saying how when you play either you against the CPU player or two players, presumably, while you're seeing it split screen, because each one is sort of a camera focused on you, you're on the same course. So when you're doing the this third one, the Iron Man race, there's this one point where you get to that big river part you got to cross, and you can get in a rowboat at some point. You can hop in it, and you paddle your boat. And if one of those floating logs hits you, it sinks the boat. There are two boats. And so if you're playing... Whoever gets to the first boat takes that boat. It's now not available for the other player. They've right. got to keep swimming. So I found the thing I would usually do is take the first boat, and then I would just intentionally get hit to follow the boat, and then I get the second boat, <laughs> and I am now the only person with any boats. <laughs> and then there is no chance the CPU is going to beat you because he's got to swim the whole thing, sucker. So that's a little, little tip from me to you. <laughs> and see, those little touches, especially with the, the competitive multiplayer when you're playing with your friend, I really like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. where you have the opportunity. Get, getting that first boat matters. Right, especially if it's, you know, okay, if we're going to compete against each other instead of work towards something, which there's nothing here to work towards, so you, you're going to compete against. I, I like that they make it possible to screw over your friends like that. It's, it's yeah. great fun. So you move on from this to firing range two. Now, in this one, it's, it's similar. You're shooting targets, except that these are now drones that move across the screen. They're like little mini remote control tanks right. with weird pink targets on them that you're shooting at. They don't shoot at you, so there's none of, no dodging or anything like that. You just have to, to knock them down. The problem, each wave will continue to move around the screen until you wipe them out, or I think eventually they'll time out and another one will come down. But mm-hmm. it's definitely in, in your interest to, to wipe out the wave as quickly as possible. You get, think, like 1,000 or 2,000 bonus points or something like that if you get the whole wave at once. Yeah, but also when you get the whole wave, it seems to be a fixed amount of time from when a wave disappears to when the next one comes on. Right. So the quicker you can get rid of a wave, the faster you're going to bring on the next wave. So you're, you're really fighting against the time on this. And again, yeah, you have the timer and you have a minimum number of targets mm. that you have to hit before the time runs out. Yeah, I think it's 52 targets. So I found the second shooting range, this one, easier than the first shooting range yeah, because the first one you have to aim on screen. Like, I wish I had a gun. You got a little crosshair you're moving. Here, you're just basically shooting up like you, like you would shoot in, say, Galaga or Space Invaders and you're just moving back and forth. I find that a much easier way to, to aim when you're doing with a trackball to just go back and forth and shoot. So this this level was one of the easiest ones and yet it's the fourth level. I found that, that I did really well here because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you said it's easy for them to wait to come to you. They come in in groups and you can just kind of pick them off as they because they follow each other in these patterns and so you can like yourself up and sort of as they're coming down in the diagonal just hit them one at a time and hit them one at a time i did then to our favorite stage (laughs) 
<laughs> the grunting stage arm, arm wrestling, wrestling. <laughs> top down view of arm wrestling and it's the noise they make those ridiculous grunts <laughs> so weird There's voice samples in this game, which are fun. Like, when you lose, like, the, the instructor will say things like, go home to your mother, Nick. And there's always this pause because it depends on who you are. They've sampled the words Joe and Nick. And so depending on who you are, the, first they'll say the sentence, then there'll be a pause, and then it sort of, like, inserts the name, go home to your mother. It's not Nick. quite fast enough to make a smooth transition in some of these no, it's sentences. Quite funny. So, they, so it's very, very funny. He or, speaks in form letters. Or, yeah, exactly. The, the phrase that the person was speaking when they digitized this ends sort of in a different rhythm or a different on an up or a down. And, and then the next thing he says is, is completely out of sync and, and to funny effect. And of course, when, when you lose, Nick says very, you know, he curses and says things like, darn it. Go home to your mother, Nick. Darn it. So arm wrestling, you, you just basically pound the buttons as fast as you can. Another level that's relatively easy. It's funny. You get finally get past that third one, the Iron Man race, which is so hard. And they give you two relatively easy levels in a row. There's a uh, an Apple II game called Olympic Decathlon, and one of the competitions in it is the javelin throw. And to get up to speed and to get to your best throw, you basically pound the left and right arrows on your mm-hmm. Apple II keyboard as hard as you can. There were, I remember reading in some magazine that there were rumors that like people were complaining because their kids were snapping the keys off, they're banging them so hard. And my dad actually like said, "You will not play this game on on this Apple II." So a lot of this stuff reminded me there's not a lot of strategy or thought that goes into it it's it's how how well you can reflexively bang these keys mm-hmm. or wiggle or wiggle the uh the trackball once you win the arm wrestling stay you grunt your way through arm wrestling <laughs> you have another firing range and this is the level i can't get past <laughs> stinking thing on one if i could continue i think i could do it shooting range number three has been my nemesis i'll tell you now i have never seen any part of the game pass this i'm only allowed one quarter this level is very hard because you get targets now and it's sort of like going back to the first one where you got the, the crosshair aim and the target. So it's, a, I think, a much more difficult shooting range than the second one. But now the targets have good targets and bad targets. There's some that look like crosshairs. You're supposed to shoot them. And there's some that look like silhouettes of people and you're not supposed to shoot them. And I pretty much just shoot everything and I always lose. <laughs> and if you shoot them, you lose. Again, this is oh. this is another game where you don't have a three lives and you're not trying to avoid being shot, you know, you bang, you die, you lose a life, and you lose three or five or whatever the setting is, and the game's over. This is all about timing, and so there are interesting ways for your games to end, and one of them is shooting innocents on this level. Um, what do you mean you couldn't continue? Uh, well, I'm only allowed one quarter. I don't think this is a, a, a quarter thing. This is the, the, the pull-ups. Oh, but I figured once I died, I was supposed to just, like, that would be it. So I would just keep resetting and starting again. Should I have gone for more? Then my score should be doubled. <laughs> officially doubled put an no, asterisk okay, so, doubled uh, I see what happened okay I'm going to read my score to you and it's going to be in hex it's going to be so high <laughs> there are two dip switch settings for this game and, and how the game ends so it sounds like the way you were playing it if you when these things happen your game was over yeah it says go home to your mother Nick I mean sorry go home to your mother Nick <laughs> oh, there you go <laughs> I'm still, in fact, my game in the background, I'm still waiting for him to say Nick and then I'll try it. <laughs> it's been going for a while now. There's a dip switch setting that you, you get a, you get one more opportunity to, to continue. And oh, I thought that must be just a different version of the game. I didn't know because no. I saw that online and I assumed that, well, that must be the Japanese version or something. 
No, so this is called the punishment. Oh, I got hosed. Level. And basically, if you if you can say so, you die on a level. If you do enough, they take you to the punishment level, and you have to beat the CPU doing chin ups. And if you can do that, then you can continue. And if you don't, then your game is over. No, oh, I never got that option. I probably wouldn't have gotten much farther anyway. The third shooting range is so hard, man. I I struggled to get past that one. But you did get past it. Once I did. So, well, now we know who has the higher score. <laughs> because for the most part of this game, your score really kind of goes by how far you get. Because with these bonuses and things, the farther you go, the bigger your score. I frequently would get the same score. I would end the same place and yeah, I'd have the same weird, score. Right? Yeah. I didn't... I mean, the, the next phase started and I died immediately. Because in order to graduate, you have to beat up your instructor. And it's sort of this yir yir kung fu battle and apparently this is you know i died immediately like i said and this is the hardest level by far of the game so if you play the two-player version would you fight each other i guess rather than fight the i you know i don't fight the instructor and see who goes on that'd be interesting Hmm. so once that happens uh once you once you assuming that you can win that battle then Hmm. you are sent on a mission and you are in some sort of i don't know fancy building I am in some sort of fancy <laughs> Right now, in fact. And bad guys run at you and you punch and kick them. Bad guys do run at me and I do punch and kick them. You are told terrorists have taken over. Save the hostages. And, and it's a side-scrolling level and you do hand-to-hand combat uh, with oncoming terrorists. Very cool. I never got that far. I enjoyed the, the sound in this game, the, the silly speech. And mm-hmm. I like the music like and I like that. the uh, speech, and I thought the graphics were pretty good, too. They have a real Contra feel to them, which I think mm-hmm. makes sense, because I think this is based on Contra hardware, but with different sound stuff. So this is a System 16 board, and there are, I think, seven or eight games that all fall into this specific model of System 16. They, they call this one the Contra board, because I think that was the first one that used it. In addition to combat school slash boot camp, uh, there's a game called Fastlane, there's Flak Attack, Greiser, Greaser, which is Contra, there's Haunted Castle, and uh, Trick Trap, and these all use the same board. I guess that means that, that if you have one of these, it's easy to swap the games out. The CPU is an HD 6309 at 3 MHz. It uses a Z80 at 3.579 MHz for sound, and it uses the uh, a YM2203 at 3 megahertz and a UDP7759 at 640 kilohertz for sound generation. Uh, it is a two-player competitive uh, multiplayer game. It uh, uses a trackball or a joystick, depending on which version you have. Maybe. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have two buttons, one for attack and one for jump and shoot. Yeah, it's funny that you say it because like we were talking about this before – recording and i'm still a little confused about the versions of this game there's so much online that contradicts other sources and what have you so as far as i can tell there's three versions of this game but it weirdly it goes combat school gets released as combat school in japan using a trackball i think what happens is later and that's 1987 later in the same year it gets released still with a trackball, but now called Boot Camp, and it gets released in the U.S. And then it's the next year, 1988, it gets released in Europe. I think now it uses a joystick, but it's back to be called Combat School again. So there's two games called Combat School, one with a joystick, and there's one game called Boot Camp, which is the same as the first Combat School. And Boot Camp and the second Combat School use English voices, and I presume, though I haven't heard it yet, the first Combat School it released in Japan would be in Japanese voices, I would assume, but I haven't actually heard it. That's a lot of versions of Combat School. I did play, I, I have the, uh, the the X-Arcade standalone trackball. I did try it with the joystick. It's 
basically impossible to play. I, I don't I don't know why it would have been released that way. Maybe they're just trying to piss off their players or something. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, or they so, had a machine so already and it was like a retrofit into that and they just sold it that way. I don't know. I, it I seems guess. weird. So it was really difficult and frustrating to play like that. Not much fun at all. I did have to adjust the sensitivity on the trackball quite a bit. It really became apparent on that uh, the the level where you're running through the thistles and stuff like that that – if you don't take the time to adjust it, you know, he'll just like run off to the left and get stuck in the thistles or, or he'll slow way down and fall off a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that took some, some practice and some kind of touch and goes. And then I, I got it. If you're having a hard time with the trackball, you might want to fiddle around with that. Yeah. I, I think overall, I, I like the game. My feeling is that I would have had a lot more fun. This would have gone from an average game to a pretty darn good game if I was playing with a friend. As opposed to... Or an enemy. Or a frenemy like Carrington. Yeah. I would have a lot more fun than, than I did playing the CPU. And I did have a good time playing the CPU. This is, for me, it's one of those, it's a very um, um, aerobic game, you know, because yep. because as the timers count down, it starts, you know, when you get to like five seconds, the numbers turn red and it beeps at you. And, uh, you know, I'm banging, this, banging stuff around on my desk and, you know, and my chair is sliding around and... So this is a game that I could definitely get into. The difficulty between some of the levels sort of it was very uneven. You know, there were some It didn't really, seem like the levels were coming in the correct order. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really, really hard stuff and then it would be followed by something ridiculously easy and then right mm-hmm. back to the hard. I never felt there was that, that bicycle combat game that we played. <sighs> Clash Road. Yeah. That thing was impossible from the first moment. This had some really hard sections, but it never felt like that. That game just felt hopeless almost from from the get go. And this, I felt like you know if if I if we play this for another couple of weeks, I could probably get pretty darn good at even the stuff that I'm not. I think good at it would right end up being this another game where I'm predicting I would get good and I would get bored because it doesn't repeat. You go through like the seven yeah, sections true. of boot camp, mm-hmm. then you do the actual combat thing. And then it says, thanks for playing, and you're done. And since it's not like these levels can last a long time, it's time-based. So if you got amazing at this game and could do everything, it might be, okay, you're going to play for three and a half minutes or something, and that's it. And every time you play it, it would be the same thing. So, I, I mean, this is a game I'm really glad to have played, and I, and I recommend people check it out because it's fun, it's interesting, it's very different from all the games that we've re- reviewed so far. So that made it really fun to play, and it's got a, a neat sort of control scheme, the combination of the buttons and, and the, track pa- the track ball, rather. And, and I like the graphics, and I like the sound. Like I'm, I'm actually really happy I played it, but there is no chance I would ever even consider having like an actual cabinet or something. There's no way this game would be sustained over like a long time. Even with the sort of random elements, like where the, where the patterns of the targets and things, it's not a set pattern that you can depend on the targets popping up in the same place every time. I think you would still get kind of pretty good at tracking them down. The thing is, I just I couldn't help feeling that this was you know the the track of the track and field with with a very heavy coat of patriotic paint. There's American flags all over this thing. <laughs> It is, like you say, it's very jingoistic. <laughs> very jingoistic. Yeah, which, as a Canadian, I can't tell when you Americans are being jingoistic and you're not. Like, you always are like this. I assume that this, <laughs> I, I'm surprised you could even see the eagles on this. It's just, you probably just blend in the background. You're you're it's about? all vanilla to you guys. That's just like a basic plain cabinet. <laughs> exactly. So I, I did like the fact that if you watch a tracked screen long enough, you'll get these little animations that happen. Like the the drill instructor will pop up and he'll yell something at you. I, this game came out, I think, kind of right around the time. That I know that the officer, officer and a gentleman, 
was a very popular movie back it then. It seems based on that in some elements. And there was a full metal jacket with an Arlie Ermey yelling at you, kind of like this drill instructor does. Mm-hmm. He says some very similar things to what was said in that movie. Uh, so I think that's kind of where a lot of this was based on. Again, I, I don't think that I don't. This will never be a great game for me. You said there's no replayability at all, really, and it, just the uneven difficulty. I love. I did love the sound, and and I had a. There, there, there are some good laughs in here. It's definitely check it out. It's it's fun to play. Yep, totally. I I recommend it as well. I think everyone should have it in their main collection to play. It's the kind of game where you want to have a good control. So if you could play it on a real cabinet, that'd probably be fun too. Um, but I like you. I don't think it would sustain like with. Um, uh, Marble Madness, I can't actually get to the end, so I'm projecting, saying that eventually I would get good enough to finish, and therefore I would get bored. Um, this is just me talking smack, but with nothing to back it up, because right now, I can't get that far. But uh, I don't think it was sustained, but that said, I actually had a lot of fun playing it this week. The game was only ported to the Commodore 64, uh, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum, and the Amstrad CPC. I'd never heard it before, and I've never seen it on a home system, yeah, so it doesn't I'm look not like surprised. It doesn't look like it got very far. And again, but there was an emulator for um, oh, Combat School called Esculia de Combat. Excuse my Spanish. So there's a Spanish port slash emulator by somebody who goes by Dragon X, and I found that online as well. And so it, it says it needs a 386 computer or oh, better goodness. to play it. You got to run Windows 95. <laughs> It is super awesome, and it uses the MMX instructions to make sure you've got that in your car. So I love it. It was even old school as an emulator, so that tickled my fancy. I think the replayability probably kept it from from being as popular as some of Mm -hmm. these other... Uh, it seems like the kind of game you would push out. It would be popular for a few weeks Mm -hmm. in arcades, and it gets converted to something else. And the fact that it wasn't ported too much is probably why it's, this is not something that we hear much about these days. No. It's JAMA games, man. It's these JAMA things. I don't think they're intended <laughs> to last. They go, yeah, whatever. It's JAMA. It's empty calories in arcade form. We put it out. You play. You throw the board away. You put another one in. That's the world of JAMA, baby. That's why 1987 was the downhill of society. <laughs> <laughs> the website ysrnry.co.uk has a review of the, the Spectrum version of this game. I've read actually a few reviews of this, of the Spectrum version, and they've all gotten like 9.8 out of 10, 9.9. It's a very, very popular game to play on the Spectrum. The reviewers loved it. Oh, okay. So uh, maybe not so much in the arcade, but certainly on that home platform, it was a it was popular. And in case you're wondering why S-R- why, no, sorry, <laughs> Y-S-R-N-R-Y stands for your Sinclair rock and roll years. <laughs> and that makes me love this, and I'm definitely linking to that site. Carrington, mm-hmm. tell me about the cabinets. Boring, jamma, 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 boring, boring, jamma. There, that's basically my review of every jamma game. It's a big cab. It's a generic cab. It's got a lean back screen. The cabinets, it's got an okay control panel, I mean, because it's, it's a good system. But here's where it looks like you'd swear it would be irony or, or parody, but I think it's not. Big gray control panel, one of those large surfaces that almost looks like it should be a two or three player game. It's almost the size of something like if you're going to play a like a four player, like a gauntlet sized cabinet instead. And it's got two trackballs. And then below that, almost on like a lower little shelf that sticks out, this is a weirdly shaped machine, are the buttons. The buttons are, of course, in red and blue. And all the graphics are in red, white, and blue. And they're like the little bunting with a little American stars and stuff all the way through it and each and i and i kid you not each trackball has behind it a shield 
with the red, white, and blue stars on it, and an eagle flying above and going down. It's right out of American Dad or something like that. It's crazy with this big star that said, this is welcome to boot camp and some basic instructions. Just begging to be parodied. It absolutely is. This art on the side looks like something. It's right out of 1987 arcade type stuff where you've got the (laughs) macho looking... All of them are white dudes crossing their arms and scowling and a and big American flag flying behind it. And it's it's your typical late 80s Konami fighting thing on a white cabinet with red, white, and blue striping. And it's it's generic and it's jingoistic and it's, I find it not attractive in the least. So it's an ugly cabinet. They're pretty rare to come by. I think mostly because this game wasn't popular enough to sustain. So I suspect most of these got ripped apart and converted into something else. So I rarely see it come up. But that said, when it does come up, it doesn't go for crazy. It's not like the kind of cabinet you'll get for $50. It still is, you know, hundreds of dollars, you know, three, $400 often to get an original one still with all the original art. I think that's just to do to rarity rather than anything unique about it because again it's just jamma there's no reason why you couldn't take any other cabinet that had a few buttons and a trackball and throw a throw the board in there and it should work so mm. there you go reading the hardware manual for this game and it caught my eye that they devote three or four pages to the gold mech coin acceptor which is not something that i normally am used to seeing in the in the manuals usually it's just like here's the part number you need to order yeah so i dug around a little bit i guess the gold mech was like designed specifically to stop people from using slugs Challenge accepted. <laughs> exactly. It has its own manual. It's like eight or nine pages long. Sort of weird. It would be, and maybe this is just some some side road of arcade cabinet ownership that I don't want to go down, but I thought that was kind of interesting. That is neat. So, yeah, I have now found the, the standalone from Coin Controls, Inc., the Gold Mac Coin Acceptor Manual. So I'll link to that in the show notes, too, in case people want to upgrade their own machines to this special super no tokens allowed Awesome. Make sure your friends aren't cheating you on, on combat school when they come well, over. Well, then play. I better not come over because I am <laughs> totally going to cheat you with my gold mech fooling tokens. I bet that's how you cheated to beat me in the, in the score this week, Carrington. Actually, you say that. Before we get to our scores, and I did not beat you. I'm telling you now there's no <laughs> chance. It just occurred to me last week. I think it was last week, the week before. I don't know. All these shows run together. I was talking about how a neat way to decorate or to collect would be just arcade, say, marquee. So you could put those up in the wall or something or just side art. If you don't have a lot of room to collect and you wanted to collect something that had to do with arcades, it might be cool to collect tokens. Just tokens from various cities, tokens from arcade, various arcades. I bet that's the kind of thing you could go on eBay and pick up tokens not that expensively. And then if you if you if if they were all relatively the same... Or you had a very loose control thing, and you could have your own cabinets and make them work off your own tokens. Maybe you could get your own tokens made with my face on them. I'm signing up for that right now. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy my own, my own my own coin stamping equipment right now. <laughs> It'd be pretty awesome. I, I need look, my own tokens. It, you want to talk about scores? Well, no. eBay. <laughs> you mentioned eBay and, and coins. And, it's not really I collecting. EBay and coins. It's you not really collecting, though. I mean, that's kind of cheating, right? Buying stuff on eBay for your collection. No, it's collecting. Whatever. You buy, well, how else would you? Uh, come on, you either buy, buy it or you stumble. That's that's not part. You prefer of to steal. <laughs> it's only yes. collecting if it's just cat burglary involved. Part of the collecting is is the hunt and and a hunt on doing eBay. The work to to actually mm. it means nothing because it's easy to get. You know, you just click oh, a button. But, oh, that which we achieve too lightly. We no, we achieve too easily. We esteem too lightly. Don't buy on eBay. You suck if you buy stuff on eBay and say you're a collector. There, I don't. I completely disagree. 
That's because you're. I think insane. if you buy a thing, if you're a collector of something, and you and you find a, a thing you've been like you collect baseball cards, you either go to a store to buy them, you find it from a local garage sale, or maybe you're missing the I don't understand baseball cards, the original 1982 bat card, <laughs> because it was like the best bat in the game, so it gets no card. I don't understand your your sport of baseball, and then you go on eBay and you find you know the 1982 bat, <laughs> then you buy the card. That seems totally valid to me. You know, you can just buy an instant collection and suddenly you're a competitive collector. And it's, What's, why is it competitive? I don't understand that at all. The, the I mean, guys are that are we, looking for these rare cards absolutely compete compete with each other to get them. There was a store. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I'm going to have a link we can put it on called Arcadia, a love story. I found this on Twitter this week and I had meant to mention it. And there's a fellow named Chris Colurus. He transformed his bedroom into a 1980s arcade, and it altered the course of his life. Great article on Wired. Everyone should run, don't walk, and read it. We'll have a link to our show notes, and that's my sneaky way of everyone getting everyone to go to our site. So <laughs> this guy named Chris, it's like a sort of a half interview, just half story about this guy who put a bunch of arcade games, not even a ton. It looks like it's like four in his bedroom. But, you know, to a lot of people, the idea of having three or four full-size arcade games in your house, let alone in, in just your bedroom in New York, that's like blows people's minds. He also has one of the um, Fix-It Felix ones. So he's got one of the same ones that I have. He talks about how, like, he had moved out of that place and in with his girlfriend or fiance or something. And increasingly, he was leaving her out of the arcade part of his life because he was really into arcade games and he thought like he's going to bore her. But that's also a route to, you know, not including your partner in your life and it became a big split. And basically they broke up and he had to move back to the little room that had now been turned into an arcade. And so he didn't have a bed anymore and he has to sleep on the couch. And he's now living this place, sleeping on the couch among all the arcade games and how is, and now she's off dating somebody else. And it ends kind of sad, really. This poor guy who then has now bought his first pinball game and He's finally starting to put games outside the bedroom, and it's like, he, and he says, collecting arcade games is like the gateway drug to collecting pinball machines. <laughs> and 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 he's got his first pinball game delivered on the same date that his old fiance or old girlfriend is going on a, her first date with somebody else. So he wins. I was like, I don't think you win, Chris, but okay. It's a sad and interesting and kind of beautiful story. Definitely worth reading. And I think I had a point, but I don't, oh, it was he. That was it. I, I, I often have a point to what I'm saying. It's not often clear even to me. Turns out this time I recognized it. The point, the by point that I do have one is he took a lot of flack online as not being a real collector because he just went and bought some arcade games. And everyone's like, well, that doesn't, you're not like, so he's on Clove and everyone's like just trashing him on the forums because he'd go, hey, I just bought this arcade game and this is what I got in my room and I'm really happy. And everyone's like, you're not a real collector. You don't understand what that machine is. You just went and bought it. You're a total poser. And I, and I completely disagree with everyone who was saying that. And I think they're all a bunch of meanies and they should be nicer to Chris. So what if you buy the game? You collect it how you collect it. I think you're absolutely right about that. I'm right about so many uh, no, things. No, no, That's no, just one no, of them. No, no. If, you, <laughs> if you're taking shortcuts and buying stuff on eBay, you're missing out on a big part of the experience. And when you go to these places where the people value that part of the experience and say, hey, look at these you know, $30,000 worth of games that I just bought, they're not really going to welcome you with open arms. Who cares, though? He does. And, and I, but, well, yeah, but I also, I don't mean just like who cares that they don't welcome you because I also think who cares about that. 
why are they so concerned with how he gets a thing? Like, who cares if you buy? That's like saying you're not a real car collector. You didn't build it yourself. How else are you supposed to get these things? So, so maybe you go to an arcade, how, or you go to arcade auction. How is that fundamentally different than just finding a, an ad on Craigslist? And how is that fundamentally different than finding the exact same ad but on eBay with a buy it now? And how is that different than it's on eBay but the person's taking bids? You either build it yourself or you're buying it from some dude who's selling it. What's it make a difference if they're selling it on eBay or if they're selling it in a store or they're selling it on Craigslist? I don't understand how that devalues somebody's collection. It doesn't devalue the collection. I think, like I said, you're missing a big part of the collection experience when you do that. Nope, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you're going to go into a place like Kalov, they're going to come after you. They just are. I think they're the bunch of posers. My collection is so much cooler because... What? I didn't buy because, it on eBay. Because that there, made you a real man claw. No, because guys. the games Way actually mean something to him. It's not just something, oh, here's 30 grand that I hit a button for. And now I look, it shows up at my door. Oh, wow. I, but I who's, so hard so, for this. No, I see, I completely. So, so just because he says, I, how, did, how did somebody work hard for the arcade game they bought? They, they went to an auction and I had to lift the paddle and you don't, my geeky little arms can't lift that high. <laughs> my little trotters are, oh, you don't understand. It was hard. I'm deficient in Usually so many vitamins. A, if you don't go the eBay route, it takes a lot of effort and you have to call people. There's a social aspect to it that you're completely missing with eBay. Well, but maybe you, you're that's true. And I can, you're, or you're trying to find, you know, okay, open this up. It's got the wrong piece in it. I can either click five bucks on eBay or I can, I can go down the street to the, the arcade repair guy that I know and talk to him for a while. Such snobbery. Oh, no. I think, no, I think that's complete absolute snob here. No, it's, oh, I think it's so complete much. snobbery. No, I think no, it's no. absolutely just saying no, it's not I'm better because no. I didn't go on eBay. Nobody's saying that it's Whatever. better. You're saying it's better. I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying you just said it's better. When I edit this and I make your words just <laughs> you say the words, not it's editing better. The show. It's better, Nick. Oh, you're it's not better, editing. Joe. <laughs> there, now. I'm not editing that part. I do agree that there is something joyous and fun and you'd get a lot out personally out of the scavenger hunt of finding the machines. And that can be really rewarding. And I think learning about the machines so that you can repair them yourselves and get the parts totally rewarding. That's a personal thing saying I do that and I'm going to look down on or talk smack about somebody who doesn't do that just makes you a royal douche. It doesn't make you a better collector. A douche with a crown. In France, they call you douche royale. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. That part I'm going to leave in. <laughs> Just that. Everything else gets edited. Yeah. I will leave in those words. This whole episode is going to be me talking for a long time. <laughs> Just, and then you're going to be to absolutely correct. In fact, you don't need to be on future shows. I finally have the one phrase from you I need. I'm just going to have that play at the very end. Oh, no, of all no, my, my podcasts. Friend, you're not editing this show. <laughs> of all my podcasts, not just this one. All podcasts I'm on will end with you just saying the words. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that should, that should my be the affirmation. Yeah, I agree. No, look, I'm just saying that, that, you know, if you're coming at it from a different perspective, the, the way he is, and expecting to be accepted by these people who have built a, a social community. Judging him like that is is wrong, and, and telling him he's a dick and, and being being jerks like they tend to be on Kalov is wrong. Him showing up and 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 expecting them to have the same respect that they might for somebody who spent a long time trying to repair or put together the pong machine that he spent he put down thirty grand for, I think is also a little bit out of sorts. Mm. I think that's jealousy. 
And nope. I think it's, Absolutely I don't not. think it's just about what? expecting just them what? to laud him and say, dude, you're amazing. There's a world of difference between just saying, eh, he bought it and I don't care. And he bought it and I got to bring him down a peg. People who feel the need to bring him down is what makes them the royal douche. It doesn't mean they should respect him or think he's awesome or even think he's as good at this as them or whatever. But going to the trouble of let me type out my mean comment, <laughs> that's what's wrong is, is taking an active joy and in the tall poppy thing and bringing him down for what he did, I think was crappy. Sure. And that's, that's a problem on, on board thread on the internet is you got people that behave that way because it, yeah. you can't, there's, there's nothing to hold them accountable for that, that horrible behavior. I'm holding them accountable. And I'm going to read their names now. <laughs> Here are all the people that have been mean on the internet. You're going to be like the, the immortal alien in, in the, the Douglas Adams book. Exactly. I'm going to go around. I'm going to insult them all in alphabetical order. Everyone. <laughs> totally. Wait, I've already done you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, Douglas Adams. Miss him. Good writer. Ah, so shall we talk scores? We already know I can't get past the third shooting range. <laughs> so I did, tells I you either, really. So. <laughs> okay. So, but you at least once did. So the best score I ever got was 111,340. Now I'm pleased to actually have that many digits because rarely do my scores ever have those digits. But I will also say that makes me a rookie. I am below <laughs> all of the, the ranks you can get on the high score table. I don't even become a private <laughs> score. So that kind of sucks. So 111,340. What about you, Mike? Uh, I guess I racked up the bonuses because I didn't get any further than you did. And I got 143,280. You suck. You just bought that score. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just clicked buy it. I'm going to I, I clicked it. There's that. a buy it now button in, in the game, and it just <laughs> score it now. It is. That's right. Yeah, that's what I did. I noticed how the initial high scores in this. You get to put your high score in the end, even if you suck like I do. <laughs> They're all in X dot X format, where X is a letter and dot is a dot. So, like you know, K dot T is the highest default score, which is 225,000. And you'll notice how I did not get that. In fact, like the the lowest score. Like it depends on how you how you do. So there's like this weird section of high scores at the end, and you only get to see like the bottom parts of it unless you go through like unless you graduate and get to go onto the real mission. So you can become up to a master sergeant, which is if your score is over two hundred and sixty thousand, and then it goes like two four over two forty, you're a sergeant. Over two twenty, you're a corporal. Over two hundred thousand, you're a private. If you're me, you're not even close <laughs> to that, then you're just a rookie. Don't even get to be ranked. If you actually graduate and you, you beat your, um, your instructor and you go on to the actual thingy, then you can become a, a second lieutenant or first lieutenant or a captain. If you get over 300,000 points up to, to become a captain, you have to be over 300 and over 370,000, I think it was. So I was not net anywhere in that range. So I get to see those ranks, but you know, I am not one of them. I was also a, a rank rookie. Mm-hmm. The number 10 score uh, on the high score list, there is two, it's 29,980 points, which compared to, to the f- scores we ended up, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it took me a long time even to like a lot of plays through to, to get to the point where I was able to rack up enough points to get past that. Yeah. And then once I kind of caught on to how the game worked and, and the, the rhythm of the trackball and stuff, then it wasn't so difficult. But yeah, me too. There were lots of, lots of times early on, my scores were t- like, I was just, just getting creamed. Mm-hmm. And then I got good enough to get farther, but I would still frequently die early. Like you trip you, and I wouldn't make it through that second obstacle course. So like, it's so easy to get mired there. You fall in a couple of puddles or you, you get 
you don't make it to the boat first or whatever. And it's so easy to get a bad score in this game. That I think goes back to that uh, thing we were talking about where you have the uneven difficulty, you know, with mm-hmm. the, with the, the arm wrestling, for example, there's nothing to do, but, but pound the button until you win. To make that and, noise. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> grunt and grunt and grunt. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of just the random stuff. You fall off the bridge or get caught in a puddle or, or, you know, get knocked off the monkey bars by the CPU that happen that, yeah, it adds some variety, but it also makes it difficult to kind of score the same thing every time. Now, again, this is not as difficult as that bicycle game. Ugh. Mm-hmm. But there's some challenge here. Sure, but not enough challenge, and it wouldn't hold my interest over a long period. So I right. do recommend playing the game to our listeners. You just check it out. It's certainly fun, but it's not a cabinet I'd want to own at all. Would you want to own the cabinet that we're going to play next week? <laughs> Absolutely. I wonder what it is. <laughs> I don't even know yet. Play me a sound. I will do that. That sucks. (laughs) Well, it's the sound you're going to be hearing for the next week. Oh, okay. I know. You can blame our (laughs) listeners. They picked this game. Maybe I'm excited about it. Who knows? Who knows how I feel? (laughs) You you can blame our listeners. They picked the game. I do blame our listeners. Hear that, listeners? I blame you. I'm going on Clav and I'm talking smack about you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't buy your games on eBay. Putting on my douche crown. (laughs) Gonna take you guys all down a peg. Bye, everybody. Bye, Mike. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monsterfeet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. douche with a crown. In France, they call you douche royale. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct.